so far in our time together in looking at Evangelism 101, we've talked some about the biblical foundations for evangelism, uh, no, noting that, that there's not a you know, uh, cut-and-paste biblical model for evangelism per se. You know, really, the, what we have in the New Testament is, is largely this relational, connectional kind of evangelism going on, aside from what, what I would call just do you call it just brute force evangelism, all right, where, where Paul, in all of his boldness, walks into a city, finds a synagogue, makes everybody mad, starts preaching the gospel? So that's one option, all right? That's still a viable option, by the way, brute force evangelism. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, often our phrase is something like this, well, you know, I, I don't want to be on the corner, you know, shaking a Bible at somebody. I don't know, I think a lot of folks need to see some Bible shaking, all right? In other words, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing unbiblical with standing on a corner and preaching the gospel. So let's, we do want to be clear about that. Now, you've got to have some, you've got to be made of tough stuff if that's going to be your deal, all right? You better be prepared for who knows what. But that is, that is a valid biblical New Testament form of evangelism. However, I would say the majority of the evangelistic encounters that happen in the New Testament are unrecorded by the New Testament, M- meaning it is, it is family going to family, it is friends going to friends, it's, it's neighbors, it's acquaintances, it's the building of relationships where, where one individual is saved and then they tell the next person they find that this is what is probably creating a rather rapid growth in the church. I mean, when you have text in the, the book of Acts that say stuff like, and their number was added to daily. Well, they're not doing Pentecost every day, right? I mean, they're not, they're not preaching to thousands of people every day. This, this is people just being evangelistic. So, in terms of method, uh, in terms of the way things should be done, uh, there's not one clear New Testament form. However, it it can be helpful, especially in our day and age, to have a method, to have kind of uh, a a presentation prepared to share. Because I think one of the barriers that we face in doing evangelism is we don't feel prepared to do evangelism. We're concerned, am I going to say the right things? Am I going to say enough? Am I going to say too much? What if they ask me all these hard questions? These, These are the typical kinds of uh, of hindrances that all of us have experienced, myself included, by the way, that all of us can experience when engaging somebody with the gospel. So having a, a presentation ready where you know, all right, if I get through these elements, I've gotten through the gospel. And, and that if I get through these elements, that, that I'm certain then this is sufficient for God to use to save somebody. So it's helpful to have that. Now, We've really kind of done two, though one is, the first one wasn't really a method, more of a tool, so to speak, and that, that was these little Bibles, all right? This is uh, made available to us by the Gideons. You'll notice the distinction between these Bibles and what you get from a Gideon. These don't have the Gideon mark on them, all right? So these are available to anybody then who's not a Gideon, and I still have a box of them over here. Uh, we had one box that got emptied. Now we're on our second box, so that's great. I think it's 100. Is that right? Is it? All right. So we've given now well, well beyond 100. I don't know what may be left. Perhaps 125 have been given out thus far. 
So if you didn't get a chance to pick up one of these, or you'd like to pick up more, feel free to do so. Because if we run out of these, we, we can get more, all right? Uh, we've got some ends with a few Gideons, okay? So we know where to get the good stuff from them. All right. And in, in this does have a plan of salvation. It has a simple uh, process you can take them through to, to, to get the message, make sure that you are communicating the gospel. So I would commend that to you. Then we looked at what's called the three circles. Uh, the, the broader term is life conversation. The idea being that you look for opportunities in day-to-day conversations with people to enter into a gospel conversation. And we noted the three circles where you, you draw this diagram. Uh, on, you can do it on a napkin. That's kind of how it was designed. And whether or not you actually use physical drawing, again, there, there's an app that takes you through this that is a way to present the gospel that's going to be similar to what we'll look at tonight and that it goes all the way back to the beginning and shows how everything started out perfect and, and how rebellion then plunged creation into the dysfunction and brokenness that we experience now and that the means of rescue is found in Christ, Christ's death and resurrection and that trusting in Him then can restore that which was broken and guarantee then the future and heaven and eternity. And so that was one method. Again, those little, the little booklets that I passed out to you, we can get more of them if you like them. Quite frankly, while, while tracks can be helpful, I, I guess I would encourage you to be just prepared. In other words, you take a tract like that, you read it, you study it. Not that you're going to do some rote memorization, but that you have the material kind of ingrained because you never know when you may just have two minutes with somebody and you want to be ready then to share the gospel with them or at least begin the process. So I would encourage you, whatever I hand out to you, though though these can be handed out, left with somebody, and that's a fine way to do it, I would also encourage you to use these materials as a way to just kind of Get the gospel ingrained in you. And by the gospel, I don't mean for you to get saved again. I I mean the gospel in such a way that you now feel a bit confident, a bit more confident, to be able to share that message. Now, before we get into our next method, I've got you another little tool here that I found helpful. I came across this since our last time, which was two weeks ago. Network evangelism. I think this is material that has been popularized by a pastor from New York, though he's, I guess he's now since retired, and that's Tim Keller. Have you ever heard of Timothy Keller? Uh, I, I think he is the one who, in other words, I didn't make this up. You look at this and think, wow, this seems really smart. All right, it is really smart because a really smart guy came up with it. All right, so I could have passed it off as my own, uh, but in the Google age, uh, I would have been found out. Anyway, so this is not mine, but I am letting you uh, ha- see this because I think this is another helpful I, I, guess, I guess method is the word, or at least a way to think about our context that just makes us more evangelistically minded. So, so the idea being this, that we, we can organize our relationships in a variety of ways. And so there are five major categories of relationships. Family, geography, meaning people in, you know, who live near you, your vocation, so where you work, recreation, where you hang out and play, 
or commercial, and that is people you may run into whether you know them or not, people you may run into then in, say, retail settings, all right? Food Lion, Walmart, Target, whatever the case may be. And that, that really I think these five categories are helpful because that, these are going to be the places where you're going to run into lost people. Some of you maybe don't even have to, well, not necessarily go out of your own door, but out of your own bloodline, so to speak, before you find lost people, all right? Others, perhaps that's not the case, but this gives you a way to think about your relationships in such a way that then you begin to write down and pray through and think through in each of these categories. Lost people. Naming them by name. And and thinking about ways in which then you can look for open doors, for opportunities to be able to share the gospel. And, And so, you know, the next bit of instruction is identify at least five people in each of these networks. There's nothing biblical about that number, all right? I guess we could say seven, all right? You need to identify seven people in each one. That's the perfect number. There's nothing biblical about it um, other than just to get you thinking about, about people and these different relationships that you have. And then do these five tasks, or at least one of them. Pray for them. I, I hope that you all have developed a, pr- a prayer list, you know, whether it's really formal or not, that you at least have in your mind people that that you are praying for, and that that includes lost people. I know I've said this kind of thing before, but I think it's significant. You do know if you've got lost people in your life, it's entirely possible if you pray for them, you're the only one doing that. You you and I don't deal with that, right? You, You and I know we've got circles of friends, we've got believers that pray for us, and if there's an issue going on, we know, we know we could have a lot of people praying for us very quickly. But you've got lost people in your life that very well have no one who ever prays for them and who maybe don't really hear the phrase, at least not in a meaningful way, I prayed for you today. I mean, they may hear it like in the, in the shallow way our culture uses it, but I mean a legit statement coming from a, a real believer who's actually doing these things So pray for them. I like this little C.S. Lewis quote. I have two lists of names in my prayers, those for whose conversions I pray for and those for whose conversions I give thanks. The little trickle of transferences from list A to list B is a great comfort. That's a great little statement. Now, that doesn't mean these are the only people he prays for, all right? You're allowed to pray for other people dealing with other things. But that there would be this, this intercessory prayer list where there are lost people, whether they are local and or anywhere else they may be. You can invite them, uh, you know, begin to engage them in your life, whether, you know, eating dinner, engaging in some kind of special event. You can always invite them to church, all right? So you can invite them to something. You can find out a way to serve them, find out a way to, to minister to them, but not in kind of weird ways. What, what are some ways that you can bless them. And again, it gives some examples here. Babysit, get groceries, cut grass. My goodness. I mean, I'm not a lost person, but you could do all three of those. All right, so uh, if you're looking. Uh, all right, so give resources to them. This is another great way to engage a lost person. Give books to read. Uh, if you come across something, say, online that you think was good, 
Uh, if you happen to know a pastor and you think that his sermon's worth listening to, all right, maybe you could pass that along to somebody sometime. Say, hey, why don't you listen to this? Let's get together and let's, let's talk about it. And then share the gospel for them. So look for opportunities to be able to share the gospel. And we, you know, we've talked about this, that you just need to be mindful of the ways in which you are engaging in conversations already with people that I am certain have open doors to deeper things. And obviously in this case, I'm talking about you know, people that you know fairly well. People that you're getting together with and, and they're asking, hey, how are you doing? And they're sincere about it. And you share, well, I've had this issue go on or this has gone on at work or I've got this deal with, you know, with my mom or you know, whatever it may be. Uh, and you begin sharing real life struggles. Then you ask them, so how are things been going with you? They begin to share similar struggles. And, and I can tell you a response to that, I don't know where it will take you, but a response to that is to say, well, i got to tell you, I don't know how I'd have been able to get through blank, said situation, were it not for my faith in Christ. Now, I don't know how everybody will react to that. Some may think that's just an awkward thing to say and ignore it and move on, all right? But my guess is there will also be people who will say, what? What does that mean? How? How does that help you? Are, are you talking about the church thing? I mean, these are the kind of responses you'll get. Now, at that point, I, I'm telling you, folks, if you have a conversation and that question gets asked and you don't make a beeline for the gospel, God can't give you any bigger open door, all right? I, I know that doesn't make it less intimidating. I'm just saying, if that kind of conversation's going on, and you've prayed, God, give me opportunities to share the gospel. Help me to see when somebody is ready to hear. There you go, all right? That person is, whether they'll get saved or not, it's not up to you, right? In fact, a great verse for evangelism was Romans 9, 16. Not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but according to the mercy of God. So even when it comes to evangelism, that verse is really applicable. I'm not willing them to salvation. I'm not acting them unto salvation. It's still going to be God's work. But I want to do my part, as God has commanded, to share the gospel. So this is a helpful little, I think, exercise that you can go through. Keep this with you and maybe use it and develop your own kind of list, looking for people in each of these spheres of influence. And, uh, and, if, and if one of them doesn't fit, then maybe look for more in another one. Uh, but I, I think it's a helpful, a helpful way to begin thinking about your relationships uh, so that you can begin sharing the gospel more effectively. All right, so tonight, we turn our attention to a second method, third method, I guess, really. One that it's called Two Ways to Live. This comes to us from our brothers and sisters down under, all right? Uh, it's, an, it's an Australian uh, company, Matthias Media, produced it. It, it kind of goes back to, this is going to be a shock to you, but there are gospel-loving Anglicans in the world, all right? They're, they are out there, okay? And when I say God, I mean people who really believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, okay? who believe it is infallible, who believe in God's sovereign grace. I mean, there, there are those out there who believe this, uh, who are Anglican. I think a lot of them are located in 
Australia, all right? And this group is a group that supports all of those doctrines that we believe and hold dear. Um, And uh, in particular, a guy by the name of Philip Jensen, who's the most well-known author of the group, uh, been ministering in Australia for many, many years. And here's what he discovered. And again, it's coming out of that context, so the background may be helpful. You know, he, in Australia, they were, they were, and this goes back to like the 70s and early 80s, they were looking for ways to train their people to do evangelism. And here, here's what they found. They found that the tracks that came from England, though well done, were way over the heads of the Australians. Just kind of way over their heads. Like, like too, too involved, too detailed. I mean, they were, they were good stuff, but that, that's, that seemed to, to be a difficult uh, transfer, so to speak. Conversion, to convert from that context to Australia. The tracks they got from America they thought were very well done. In fact, he said you know, the tracks that came from America were the best published. In other words, they were, they were the slickest. They, they, they had the best graphics on them. Uh, they were the best, they, they were well done, to the point, simple presentations of the gospel. But they assumed too much. In other words, those tracks that they found, they came from like the 70s. And I, even though he doesn't name them, I, I'm assuming something like the four spiritual laws from Campus Crusade and Bill Bright. The problem was, is there were phrases in these tracks, in an attempt to keep them simple, there were phrases that the folks in Australia, terms they didn't regularly use, like repentance and sin. That especially at that time in the, say, the 70s and 80s, in America, there would have been kind of a common vocabulary. There would have been a time when you were used the word sin, most people knew what you were talking about. Use the word repentance... People knew what you were talking about. You might even have used the language of Christ and the gospel and being saved. And a lot of people would have understood that language. Jensen found that in Australia they had no clue. None none of this translated. Not, Not really, not in any meaningful way. So they set about to develop a track that they thought would combine the best of both worlds. Solid biblical presentation of the gospel while at the same time being simple, but, but also not assuming that their audience uh, had a background already. Now, here's the thing that I think is a little disturbing for us. Now, that's what we need, right? Now, this is what the American culture needs. We now need a tract of that same kind. We, we need a tract that does explain these things. We need a method of presenting the gospel. You tell somebody, I know this may sound strange, maybe in our context, maybe in a city like New Bern, but you talk to some people and you talk about sin and they look at you like you are crazy. Like, what are you talking about? Sin. Do you, do you mean doing bad stuff? Or what, what do you mean about sin? I've even had that question. What do you mean about sin? I've had people tell me after I explained, well, I'm not a sinner. Wow, well, that's impressive, all right? I only know one other guy who can say that, okay? But, but wow, that's impressive. Not a sinner, wow. But this, this is where we are, and especially using the language of repentance. You tell somebody now 
Repent of your sin and believe on Jesus Christ. Huh? What do you even mean by that? What does repentance even mean? I think I haven't shared not long ago. There was a time when in the end zone of football stadiums, people would hold up John 3.16 and people knew what John 3.16 was. Now you don't see that sign anymore. Because nobody knows. Nobody knows. So this is kind of the background of two ways to live. And the method of this is similar to the three circles in that it's going gonna, it's gonna to encourage you to take people through the basics of the Bible story. Meaning, creation, perfect, God ruling, then man rebelling, bringing the curse of, of death, and then needing Jesus in order to deal with the death and the consequences for sin, who then died on the cross and rose from the dead. And the premise is this. So now set before you are two ways to live. You can continue to live the way of the rebel, or you can submit to the gospel. And so really the language of two, two ways to live, that doesn't hit the, the, this presentation of the gospel until the end. This is like the, this is the climactic moment when you get to the end of it and you say, so there are two ways to live, which way do you want to choose? So it's that kind of a, of a method. Now, before we take a look at this, there is a video I want to show uh, that I think, uh, I don't know, I, it's interesting because it's a, it's, a, it's a conversation, it's made up, the acting, okay, there's not going to be any Academy Awards for what I'm about to show you, all right? No one's going to think, wow, those people are really good at that. It also was done in like 2003, okay? In Australia, 2003, which is probably like the United States, 1995, all right? So it's going to seem a little dated, it's going to seem a little old, uh, and they will speak Australian, uh, what I mean, they have that accent. So we're going to have to listen carefully. But, but I do want to show you this because this gives us an example of a conversation getting into the gospel and a way you don't want to do it. So know that right off the bat. This is not what you want to do, all right? So if we could show the video and uh, take a look at a way to do the gospel, but perhaps yeah, not the best way. Weekend? Oh, it's fairly ordinary. Um, Saturday afternoon we had a thing at Allison's folks and... Just stayed at home Saturday night. Uh, church on Sunday was pretty good, though. Church? I didn't know you went to church. Yeah, almost every Sunday. Why would a sensible bloke like yourself go to church? I mean, does a wife make you? No, no, no. I go because it's my choice. I go because I'm a Christian. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't have the foggiest. Enlighten me, comrade. Okay, well, being a Christian is all about following Christ. Following him where? <laughs> Sorry? Where? Where? Following where? Um, um... Where, uh, to heaven, I guess, which is, which is where God is. Right, so if you're a good little boy, you go to heaven. No, no, no. Well, yes. Um, no, 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 no. It's not, about, it's not about what you do. It's more about what God has done. It's about having a relationship with Jesus where he's your friend and not, um, and not some big ogre. Uh, it's not about rules and stuff, though. It, it, it's more about... Um, knowing that forgiveness, um, um, but not that you don't try and do the right thing, but um, that, that, that's when you get the Holy Spirit, um, but that comes after you, um, you're a Christian. Sorry, mate, you've lost me. Holy what? Spirit, Holy Spirit. It's, um, it's God's presence enabling you to do the right thing, but that's not really the essence of it either. It's look, Jesus died for our sins. 
That's got to be the biggest thing about being a Christian. Right, so how can you follow someone when he's dead? Well, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. The resurrection, you've heard of it? That's also a big part of being a Christian is um, believing that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's coming again, so you've got to be ready. And so you try and um, um, keep um, doing what's good and, and trying to obey him and you walk in the truth and, um, and it makes a huge difference to your life. Like, it's made a big difference to my life. And, and, and you want to be more like Jesus. And after a while, you change to be like him. And, and, and God's in there, and they're working. And, um, and you want to, you find you want to pray more and read more. Um, um, but um, I'm not very good at that. Very good at what? And explaining any of this. <laughs> All right, have any of you kind of ever done that? Do you feel like you've done that in a gospel conversation before? So, I mean, did you hear him bounce around? And it may have been somewhat difficult here again because of the, uh, the accent. You know, so he begins by, by giving this conversation. All right, so what did you do this weekend? Well, I went to church. Oh, wow, you went, I didn't know you went to church. Did your wife make you? You know, I asked the question, did your wife make you go? And what's interesting is that that may, in fact, be a simple enough question to get into the gospel. Because you have friends, co-workers, family members who think what you're doing right now is really, really strange. In fact, especially for you folks, because you've done this twice today, right? How bizarre. Who does that? Twice. And so that then jumps in the conversation. And so he goes on to say, well, I'm a Christian. And the guy says, "And do you understand what it means to be a Christian? No. Enlighten me. And so that poor guy's bouncing all over the place, right? I mean, he's, he's talking about, well, you got to do good things, but then that's not really it. And then you get the Holy Spirit, and he says, the Holy what? All right, so you, this, is, this is why preparation, I think, is important. You, you find a method of presenting the gospel to keep you on task, keep you focused, so that you don't get through a conversation and think, man, I'm just not very good at this. I'm just not very good at this. But again, the good news is, you don't have to be a great communicator. You don't have to be exciting. You don't, you don't, you don't have to be funny. You don't have to be engaging. You don't have to do any of these kind of things. What, what I think God expects from us is a clear, to the point, presentation of the gospel that's clearly grounded in the biblical categories of what it takes to become a Christian. You can have, so to speak, your conversation gun loaded with just enough bullets, and you can shoot each and every one of these. And you can, you can make sure then that you are ready when the opportunity comes up uh, to be able to walk, walk somebody through the gospel. Now, here's what we're going to do next week. We're going to walk through this, all right, because we really don't have time to jump into it to, into any much detail, but I do want you to take this with you. This is far more involved than what I gave you last time. Not necessarily as a presentation. One of the reasons why I think this one uh, has a, a heads up on the other one is that it does have a bit more information to it. it just, I think it gets into a bit more detail. And it's not to say that, again, that you are memorizing a presentation that you have to just, you know, wrote, go through it. This is providing you the biblical categories, and it's giving you an understanding then of what does it look like to effectively share the gospel, all right? 
So you'll note this goes through it in six, uh, just looking at it, six different uh, sections. And I do want to point out to this, if you like the drawing thing, you can draw on this one too, all right? Because there are little pictures up here where you can draw little dudes and a world and a crown on top, all right? Um, if you look then on pay the next one, on number three, you can even draw a picture of a, guy, of a crown and a dead guy, all right? So you can do that. That seems a little dark to me, but you could do that if that's how you'd like to share the gospel, all right? So, so you've, got, you've got the crown, which is God, and then rebellion, which re- results in death. And that's why the guy's sideways, okay? Because he's dead. So, again, it's, it's a bit more in your face, maybe, um, but there are, there are little graphics to go along with it. Uh, but again, the basics of this one is like the other one, though. It, it begins the conversation by letting people know that the way the world is is not the way the world is supposed to be. The world was created differently than it is now. And it was created by a God who was to rule and people who were to rule under Him. This is what has been broken. What's interesting, though, about beginning the gospel this way, and I think getting into this kind of conversation, is is now you've got a way where you're dealing with one of the biggest issues people may face. Why is the world the way that it is? Every single one of you have the answer to that. You have the answer to that question, and you can answer it in like 37 seconds. The world is the way it is, because after God made everything perfect, people rebelled, and everything has been broken since then. That answers every question. That answers every question. Why is there evil in the world? Why do little kids starve in Africa? Why doesn't everybody get the same chance to hear the gospel? Quite frankly, the brokenness that is in the world is the answer to all those questions. It is the answer. It's the simple, straightforward answer. It may not be the answer everybody's looking for, but it is. And so this method of presenting the gospel is going to, again, uh, give you this, this really clear, biblically grounded guide for being able to share all the key components. So take this home, read through this, and then we will take a look at it next Sunday night, and then we'll show the conversation done right, all right? Then, then we'll kind of be able to hear it practice, so to speak, uh, from our Australian friends there, okay? So take this home. Again, if you didn't get a chance to pick up a Gideon Bible, uh, you can do so tonight. Here's what I hope. I hope by next week, I've tracked down why they've not sent me the material, uh, and uh, we'll have the actual thing for you to look at. Because again, it's way prettier than this, all right? It is much better done than what I have offered to you here tonight, and uh, then we can put those in your hands. All right, let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you again for gathering us tonight. We are grateful for the opportunity that we have been given by you to be effective evangelists, to know that what that means is, is not seeing numbers. It's, it, it's not preaching from a pulpit and seeing hands raised. It, it is about being faithful to share the hope of Christ with people who do not know Him. And Father, what a privilege You've given to us to be a part of that. We are tools in Your hands. We are a means to Your end. This is how You've designed it to work. And so God, I pray that You would continue open up our hearts and minds to this responsibility, to this privilege. 
May we be faithful to it. I pray this week we would be granted opportunity. That we would be able to see just how, how easy it could be to get into a gospel conversation with somebody. And Father, for uh, those of us who perhaps don't, don't have uh, a lot of lost people uh, who are uh, involved in our spheres of influence, give, give us boldness to, to, to reach out and to engage, to develop relationships with those who need to know Christ. And because of that, they need to know somebody who knows Christ. Again, Lord, we, we just pray that, that we would be faithful stewards of the resources You've given to us, and in particular, faithful stewards of this gospel that's been entrusted to us. We're grateful for the week that now lays out before us. We commit ourselves to You. We pray that You'd use us for Your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.